One editorial note before you check out the interviews. During the chat with Justin Tinsley, I referenced Brett Favre incorrectly in regards to the game he played after one of his family members passed away. It was his father who passed away, which led to Favre deciding to play in a December 22nd, 2003 Monday Night Football game against the Oakland Raiders. Now enjoy Hoopsology. Welcome to Hoopsology. My name is Justin Goodrum, and along with Matt Thomas, our goal is to bring you quality basketball content from all over the hoops world. Before we jump into the show, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast to receive our latest episodes from journalists, authors, athletes from all over the basketball world. If you have a comment or question, please email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Now enjoy the show. He is a senior writer for ESPN's The Undefeated, and he is the host of the latest ESPN 30 for 30 podcast, The King of Crenshaw, which focused on the life of Nipsey Hussle, death and legacy, which deeply impacted the sports world, but specifically the NBA. We welcome Justin Tinsley onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Justin? Uh, thank you guys for having me on, man. I can't, I can't wait to chop it up with y'all about this. So, Justin, this was just an incredible podcast. I recommend everybody go check it out. Um, I believe a lot of basketball fans, they get stuck in their silos, right? It's like, I'm going to root for my own team and just forget about everything else. But I think it's important just to understand the NBA as like a culture, just to really check out this podcast, because I believe it provides deep insight into these players off the court. So, Justin, my first question to you is, how did you become involved with this project? Because with the 30 for 30 podcast series, it's, I believe this one in particular, it's so different than the others. Just the way it's produced, the um, athletes involved, just everything. So how did you become uh, motivated to create this project? Man, that, that's, that's a really good question. And I'll try to keep my answer, not an elevator pitch worthy answer, but I'll try to keep it somewhere in that cul-de-sac uh, of, of time. So, um, if, obviously you've listened to the podcast and it, for anyone who hasn't listened to the podcast, I kind of get, I kind of get into that a little bit in the first episode where, um, I have one of my really good friends. He he's featured in the first episode, Brian Robinson, and he's from the South LA, South LA area, South central, you know, whatever you want to call it, but he's from that area. And, uh, we went to college together and he's the one that ultimately put me on the Nipsey Hustle's music. And this had to be. 2005, 2006, somewhere around like the mid 2000s. And so fast forward, I would say about 11 years. Uh, so I was just getting off the train in at Union Station in Washington, D.C. And Brian called me. And this was around April 2018. And he was like, yo, man, would you be interested in potentially doing a story on Nipsey for ESPN because he's a huge ESPN fan. He's a huge NBA fan. And we're just trying to look for ways to, uh, you know, further promote his album victory lap, which at that point was about two or three months old. And one of his really good friends, her name is Brittany bell, who I, I could spend the rest of the show just praising her alone. Like she, her ear for music is so great. And, And Brian linked us. And so we basically came up with an idea to, and this is a loose idea. I don't want to make it seem like Nipsey and I were like this close to working on the project together, but we came up with an idea that was around like, hey, I, w- I would love to examine Nipsey's relationship with, you know, certain guys in the league because it feels like there's a deeper story behind just, oh, let's pose for a picture and post it on Instagram before or after the game. And apparently he liked the idea and we both wanted to get it on video. 
but he was really busy in 2018. I wasn't exactly, you know, just twiddling my thumbs either. And as I say in the podcast, man, the, the thing about time is you always think you have more of it. So all throughout 2018, I'm like, ah, man, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. You know, like he's, he's living life right now. He's just got nominated for a Grammy. Like he's at the apex of his career. So in 2019, we'll make it work. And um, unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, he lost his life in, in March of 2019. But I knew that in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't want to let this idea just collect dust on the shelf because obviously, obviously Nipsey preached the concept of the marathon to, you know, keep things going, even in the midst of like setbacks or, or, or you know, loss. And I pitched the idea to my former boss, Kevin Merida, who's now over at the uh, L.A. Times. And he really liked that idea. And he, he connected me with the people at 30 for 30. And I knew, as, as you said, Justin, I knew this was going to be something different for them, just in terms of topic matter, just in terms of like the culture that was going to go that, that, that was going to go into telling this story. And I went through the script writing process. This is my first time ever writing a script for anything. Um, I've never done more revisions or rewriting than anything when I did a script. So long story short, uh, I'm here talking to you all about the podcast right now, but I couldn't let it collect dust on the shelf after he passed away. Cause I don't, I I didn't think that would be a fitting tribute to him and everything that he preached in his life. Justin, can you go into the hip hop, excuse me, the relationship, I have hip hop on my mind, Um, the relationship between hip hop and the NBA specifically, because I feel like with other sports, they don't really share a kinship with music, but basketball has with with hip hop and you go up, you go into depth with that and into the podcast, can you kind of go into why that relationship is so important to the game nowadays? I mean, at this point, they're, they're inseparable. Yeah. You know, and they have been for a long time, but definitely in 2021, they're they're inseparable. Like when you think of hip hop culture, you think of the NBA's influence on hip hop. And when you think of NBA culture, you think of hip hop's influence on that. And it's not it's not anything that just started over the last, you know, five or six years or anything like that. You can go back to uh, the 90s and Shaquille O'Neal and the Notorious B.I.G. were really, really good friends. So the, these worlds have always revolved around each other because you know as i say in the podcast they were kind of cultivated within the same type of environment you know the same where where hip-hop was born you you know on those same blacktops was where guys were playing basketball and so they live and there's a competition element in both that you see in hip-hop that you really don't see in other genres of music and sometimes that's a beautiful thing and sometimes that's a negative thing but there's this competition that goes into both and once you continue to elevate th- throughout each world, whether it's basketball, whether it's whether it's hip hop, they're always keeping you know they're, they're they're keeping tabs on each other. You know, you find motivation through you know uh, many avenues in life. It, it just happens to be that that rap and basketball they grew up on the same they they sprouted out of the same concrete, and they and a lot of times that they're shared life experiences between these artists and these basketball players that. You know, you you honestly can't fake it. You honestly can't make this stuff up. And I, it's one of those things, like my grandmother always has a saying, you can't put toothpaste back in the tube. Like, so there's no way you can rewind it and take hip hop out of basketball or take basketball out of hip hop. 
Justin, I want to want to ask you this question about Nipsey in particular because we've seen Master P, we've seen some some of these rap artists, you know, want to you know dip their foot into the pool of basketball. Was there any thoughts of Nipsey actually wanting to you know try out his hoop dreams at all due to the connections he had in the NBA? Was there any uh, kind of inkling that he wanted, hey, I want to try a summer league or I want to like try out like an exhibition game or something? Did you hear any of that through the grapevine through your research? No, I mean, no, I didn't hear that. But of course, I asked about all that type of stuff. And I'm so glad that you asked that question. Uh, Like one of the main voices that we have on the podcast, and I'm so blessed to have him on there, was Nipsey's older brother, Samil Askadam, a.k.a. Black Sam. And this story didn't make the podcast. I really, really wanted it to make the podcast. Like if it was up to me, each episode would have been like two hours long, but they were like, no, Justin, you got to, you know, siphon some of this down. But he tells this really great story of just how Nipsey was always a perfectionist. He was a scientist in a lot of ways. So like if he committed to something, he committed a hundred percent. He was never one foot in one foot out. And that's with anything he did. So with basketball, one of those like marquee moments in his life was uh, Iverson's crossover on Jordan. And so like, even, even living in LA, he's so far away from Philly. Like obviously he's not near Chicago, but like those figures of Allen Iverson and Michael Jordan too, I believe at an 11 year old Nipsey hustle at this point in March of 1997, when that happened, that was transformational. Cause Sam told us, he tells a story of how like Nipsey, saw the crossover and the next day was at the court working on the crossover, like almost obsessing over it to the point where he was hitting everybody with the crossover at the park. And and Sam, he told this great story of how like he almost, Nipsey almost got him and almost got him to fall. And he was like, all right, no, I'm never playing my brother again. I'm never playing my brother again because I can't give him that grace of saying like, oh, I hit you with the Iverson crossover and you fell. And he also talks about, Nipsey's uh let's just say when he was younger at least let's just say he wasn't the he was a sore loser I guess you could say it was like yeah you knew when you played hustle growing up that like if you lost you can't celebrate too much because hustle will be the one to kick the ball over the fence and he was like now we can't play for the next two or three days because we got to get a new ball so uh basketball I mean growing up in South Central LA like you're you're gonna you're gonna walk by basketball course basketball is just gonna be a part of your life whether you want it to or not Nipsey just happened to gravitate towards the game and it always stayed with him throughout the course of his life but he he was never one of those guys like oh I think I can I think I can go to Vegas Summer League and like trial for the Lakers or something like that like he respected the game but he respected it enough to be like I know I can't run with these guys but it's that respect for the game that also drew him in in with all of these guys, the Isaiah Thomases, the DeMar DeRozans, the James Hardens, the Russell Westbrooks, LeBron. Like they they respected him for having so much respect for their game. And he respected them for having so much respect for the game that he was in, which was ultimately hip hop. So there, there was mutual respect there. But no, Nipsey never had inklings of running with Russell Westbrook and LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the Lakers. I, I think he would have been just fine sitting courtside though. Go ahead, Matt, you have your question. Yeah. I was just wondering, you know, you, you talk about the intertwined relationship between the NBA and hip hop. And I kind of wanted to zoom in on Nipsey Hussle in particular. Was there, you know, beyond maybe 
uh, geographic ties, of course, with with South L.A. Is there anything in particular about Nipsey's music and um, his his rap that stood out to NBA players and and kind of um, maybe heightened that bond between hip hop and NBA? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I'll try to answer it in in a couple of ways. Um, if you listen to his music, there's this constant theme of what he calls the marathon. Like mm. anything that I want is not going to come to me overnight. I have to work for it. I, ha- I have to make myself deserving of the blessings that will rain upon me, hopefully that I can embrace. And uh, so if you listen to the podcast and you, you know anything about Nipsey Hussle, his career would, was anything but overnight. There were tons of times where he had to basically take his career into his own hands when, when nobody outside of his core circle believed in what he was doing and just basically invest in himself. And so you translate that over to basketball players. Yeah, we see him on TV. We see the playoffs. We see these big moments of guys like KD hitting, hitting a buzzer beater or Giannis going for like 50, 14 and nine in game six of the finals. And that's great. And it's beautiful to watch, but there's, there's so many times where they're in a gym, with nobody in there, there's no cameras. And, you know, they're working on their right hand or they're working on, you know, pull up jump shot. Like all of those things, they kind of like mirror going into the studio, trying to write lyrics, trying to Mm. find the right thing to say at the right part of the song or the right drum kick to have at this part of the song to further enhance of what you're trying to say. So again, there was that mutual respect of of, of hard work and Mm. being proud of the work that you put in. And when you listen to his music, there was something about there, there was a very honest element to his music. Like if you listen to his music, and Nipsey always said himself, "You listen to my music, call me out on anything you want. I guarantee you that I either lived it or I experienced it, or somebody close to me went through that." I'm not saying that that's a a twenty four seven badge of honor. I'm saying that I still deal with the grief that comes with some of that. But you 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 can't call me out on anything in my music. And I think that authenticity of just just being like this young black man who's so confident in himself, but also confident in his mistakes. Not that he's proud of his mistakes, but also understanding that this is how I grew from this mistake. This is how I elevated. This is how I refined myself. And if you're a young black man, especially in America, especially coming up during the, the last 15 or 20 so years that we've experienced, those shared life experiences resonate deeper than any stat line, resonate deeper than any mixtape or any album. It's like you see part of yourself in him. Mm-hmm. And he saw part of himself in them. And once you have that relationship, man, it, it's 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 hard as hell to break. Um, Justin, I want to focus on Russell Westbrook's 2020 game. And it's something that I don't think is appreciated enough. It's one thing to do a tribute. And for instance, a lot's brought up with Brett Favre, I think with his grandfather passing away and he played well after that game. But, you know, Mm -hmm. it's one thing you go off for like 30, 40 points, but for 2020, that is just an incredible stat. What shot you from your research, from discovering not only, Westbrook's motivation, but also just him pulling that off. That's just that's not something that's easily achieved on the basketball court. And do you think that's something that's not really respected among basketball circles because it is Westbrook who is a polarizing figure within the basketball community? I think within the basketball community and just people just who love basketball and understand that like what goes on on the court is only half of the story. 
And I think I'm pretty sure I feel I feel confident in saying within basketball circles, I think it is appreciated enough. Now, granted, in the larger realm of, you know, society and pop culture, maybe, maybe not. But that was. We've all seen Russell Westbrook get triple doubles like he is Mr. Triple Double, like he's gotten every type of triple double you could possibly imagine. Um, But that was special, man, because. He and Nipsey were, and I wish we could have got Westbrook, um, you know, personally for this podcast because there's so many things I would have loved to ask him about that. But also, you know, that's a very real pain for him speaking on this. And I, I, I can't tell anybody when to speak about someone that they truly, truly love and they're not here anymore. Like his grief, man, there is no expiration date on grief. And so you know, I, I wish we could have got him, but I completely, I completely understand why we didn't. You, you know, timing also didn't work out as well. I, a pandemic does, doesn't help either. But I would imagine that some of it came from like I don't know if he's really ready to speak on Nipsey in depth. I wish we could have because I would have loved to ask him about that game. I can't imagine the type of grief that was, you know, the trauma that he was going through before that game. Like, you know, Nipsey, he he saw Nipsey a couple of weeks before he passed, and Nipsey. Westbrook was some he was somebody that Nipsey was always championing like he saw like the intensity that Russ put into his game he saw the he he was basically the same way when it came to like his music but they were also deeply invested into the communities that they were from so he saw a lot of himself in Russell Westbrook and and I believe that you know Russell Westbrook he said it after the game he deeply deeply looked up to Nipsey Hussle like he was somebody to be proud of uh, coming from, you know, shared life experiences, coming from South L.A. Like there's all there's already so many stereotypes that go into being a young black male from that area. And in Nipsey Hussle, that was somebody that Russell Westbrook could plant a flag with like, this is my guy. I want to be like him. I, I, I understand the moves that he's making. I understand the dedication that he has to to his neighborhood and his area. And this is something that I want to portray to the world. So the fact that he had all of this going through his mind and then to pull off a triple double that up to that point had only been done one time in history. And that was by Walt Chamberlain, which was half a century ago. And of course, once you understand the the 202020 and you know that's a subtle reference to you know the gang that Nipsey was a part of, the Rolling 60s Crips, uh I don't I don't when you when you mention tributes like like on the field, on the court tributes. Yeah, Brett Favre. I believe that was his dad who passed. I remember watching uh, that game. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I think they were playing the Raiders. I believe, if I'm right. not mistaken, that that was a, that was a crazy game to watch live. But if I have to think of a tribute game, man, like I, especially so soon after it happened, I I would I would I think Russ's 202020 game would be mine because I think I don't think Russ hunts triple doubles as much as people say he does. But I have to think that night, once he realized, he probably said, oh, man, I have 17, 15, and 16. Like, let me try to go get this. And I I, I thought it was I, – I, I'm personally a fan of the tribute. And I, it's, it's my personal favorite sports tribute of all time. 
Justin, you mentioned grief, and I want to tap into that because you go into detail about Nipsey Hussle's funeral, and there's this yeah. gut-wrenching just to listen to all the details and your description there. And I just want to get your opinion of what is the L.A. community as a whole feeling now, not only with Nipsey Hussle's death, but with Kobe Bryant's death, and then with the pandemic and with the Lakers winning the title, what is the vibe within that community as a whole? Do you think? I mean, L- L.A. is always going to be very resilient. You know, th- this is a city that if you're from there, I know a lot of people from there. I lived there for a year. I won't claim that I'm from L.A. I'm not. I have a deep, deep love in my heart for L.A. But if you know anybody from that city, they are deeply, deeply proud of their city, even with, you know, whatever things that may be wrong with it. Like they're, they're deeply territorial in terms of like repping for their city and putting on for their city. Uh, but as you would imagine, like it was back to back to back, like losing Nipsey and then losing Kobe and then having the entire world shut down for the pandemic. And yes, of course, you know, the Dodgers winning the world series is great. The Lakers winning the world series is great, but you know, that, that's a, those three things that losing Nipsey, losing Kobe, and then the pandemic, like that, that's a trifecta that you don't, you don't wish on anybody or any city because it's so hard to come back from that like losing Nipsey and losing Kobe yes the city of LA will move on because that's just how life works but that city will never be the same without them you know they're, they're when you think of culture and you think of Los Angeles those are the those are two gaping holes that that can never be filled again and it's not saying that like LA can't can ever be on top or anything like that but I think L.A. will always hold and cherish those two individuals, because when you think of L.A., in so many ways, they represented what L.A. was. You know, L.A. was always seen as like this city. It's like, oh, it's Hollywood. It's prim, you know, what I mean, bougie X, Y and Z. Yes, that 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 does go on. But there's a lot of blue collar workers in that city. People just trying to make an honest living out of their lives. And they come from a certain neighborhood where, you know, you can't go to this neighborhood if you live in that neighborhood. And it's just, these guys represented so much of what everyday life in LA was like that, you know, it, it, they'll never, LA will never replace those two. But the thing about it is that they're not trying to replace those two because they'll always be able to hold who Nipsey Hussle was and who Kobe Bryant was near and dear to their heart. Yes. March 31st. And, you know, January 26th every year are always going to be like extremely, extremely hard for that city. But they also have a ton of memories that they can hold on to forever. And, and that's the thing, man. Experiences, life experiences eventually turn to memories. You know, every experience is eventually going to become a memory. So you try to hold as as many great experiences that that you had with that person in that time of your life. And that's what you'll always remember. We'll always be talking about, oh, man, you remember Kobe in the 08 Olympics when he put the team on his back? Or like, oh, man, you remember when Nipsey was on the red carpet with, with his daughter and, and, his, and his partner, Lauren London, how, how great they looked? Like, oh, man, Nipsey was going to become this. Uh, it's going to be tough. But even even throughout that pain, like the pain, the pain can never overshadow the love that that city has for, you know, those two gentlemen in particular. Well said, Justin. And and I think too, you know, just with both of those guys, what 
what makes it feel even more tragic is of course you have the question of like, what if, or, or what yeah. could have been, you know, that, that yeah. makes it such a, a hard blow. I, I wanted to ask specifically about Nipsey's activism in the LA community. I mean, it's, it seems like from what I've read, from what I've looked at, he was very much about uniting the community together. Yeah. Can, can you speak to kind of what his focus was in, in the LA area and, and what kind of lives on from that? Man, like is you can't mention Los Angeles, in particular South Los Angeles, ever again without mention mentioning Nipsey Hustle. And you know, in the podcast, we kind of explore this too. Not kind of, we do explore this. Where yes, music is such a huge part of who he was and what his legacy is, but that's only a piece of the pie. Like he was. I believe Garrett Kennedy says it in there because I don't I don't want to take credit for this quote because it's one of my favorite quotes from the entire podcast. It's like Nipsey did what we all say we really want to do, you know, but he actually did it. You know, when people find success, when people come upon money in their life, sometimes they move away. They move to a different neighborhood and they funnel money back. And if they do, they do funnel money back into the neighborhood in certain ways. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Because I understand the the different motivations for doing that. But what Nipsey did was he found success. And yes, he enjoyed the spoils of that success. But he pumped so, not even just money. He he pumped financial resources. He pumped jobs into those communities and, and gave people jobs who lived in his neighborhood where a society, they would have just tossed them aside. Like, oh, this is, this guy's getting, he, He's a he's an ex he's an ex con like nobody wants to hire him. Well, Nipsey would hire them at his store, or Nipsey would hire them at a barbershop to do this. Like he did the thing that we say we were always going to do, and he he was very visible in his community. He never, I mean, he literally tattooed Slauson Boy on his back. Like he literally carried his na- he carried his neighborhood with him everywhere he went, and people saw that. People saw that like, okay, I see how your clothing store and the shopping center is continuing to evolve over time. And he could have taken he could have taken the marathon store anywhere. He could have opened it in Calabasas. He could have opened it in Beverly Hills on, 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 you know, anywhere in more, quote unquote, affluent parts of L.A. But he was like, no, if you want my material and I know you want my material, you have to come to my neighborhood to get it. And that what that did from a confidence standpoint for for his neighborhood and also from an economic perspective, you, you can't even really quantify that. And. So, man, it's Sam said it himself. Black Sam said it himself. Like he deserved a Nobel Peace Prize for what he was trying to do, for what he was trying to do, and ultimately where he wanted to take his life. Yes, he wanted to become, you know, a huge star within music, but he also wanted to be the guy when, like, when people looked at South LA, when people saw all the negative things about that area, he wanted to be like, no. I'm from that area and we got a lot of great things going on in this community. And and I won't be the sole reason, but I will be one of the reasons why we pulled this, we pulled this neighborhood up from the stereotype that has been under for so many generations. And my neighborhood will stay my neighborhood. I'm not going to let you move people out of my neighborhood just to build up, you know, condos and high rises. Like this is my neighborhood and this is what we're doing with it. Like he was in city council meetings. It wasn't just him sending a representative. No, he sat in city council meeting saying, okay, so how does this work? How does that work? He was very studious in everything that he did. And he was very intentional in everything that he did. 
And that that absolutely played played a role into how he represented his community, but also even more importantly, how his community embraced him. Justin, I want to ask you about other hip hop stars and their affiliation with their favorite teams, just because I feel yeah. like you're mentioning the Activision with Nipsey. And I believe a lot of the players that were friends with Nipsey respected that because he was ingrained in the community. But yeah. I wanted to ask you, instead of me making an assumption, because we only see, we see Drake at the games and we see him yeah. just hanging out with Steph, but we don't know the behind the scenes. And I'm just curious if you've heard about other hip hop stars, you know, there's, you know, Drake, Wale, Rick Ross, others who are very much fans of the NBA. Do you know if they have a similar um, kind of kinship with the players within the league, or do you think it's mostly surface level? What have you discovered um, just in your, you know, re- articles yeah. you've written or just researched for this project? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously not trying to make an assumption for, you know, other artists and the background of their friendships with, with guys in the league. Now, Drake, he's cool with a lot of people in the league and, you know, and cause he's Drake, he's one of the biggest artists in the world. And, he, he constantly refers to the NBA and the NBA players in his songs, which is which which is a form of court, cultural currency that you really can't mimic. You know, I think the only other one that may be higher than that is like Jay-Z. Like, oh, man, I got referenced in the Jay-Z song. Uh, but in terms of like their relationships, I know I know Ross is cool with uh, quite a few guys in the league. Uh, I, I know Ross does a lot of stuff in terms of like entrepreneurial endeavors that that really that, that, that inspire guys across the league. I know Ross is really cool with Dwayne Wade. Uh, they they go back very far. Obviously, Dwayne spent the, the bulk of his career in Miami, and of course, Rick Ross is from Miami. Um, so they were they were bound to cross paths at some point. But I know they're they're really cool. Uh, Demar Derozan was telling me how you know he and Kendrick Lamar, both being from Compton, um, they're really close, and how. He uses Kendrick's music as motivation the same way that he did uh, with Nipsey. Um, trying to think, like Two Chains has a lot of friends in the league because Two Chains used to play basketball himself. Uh, but you know the the extent of these friendships, I'm sure there's backstories to them. I'm sure they have, you know, inspiring and oftentimes hilarious stories of how their friendships came to be. But uh, for this one in particular, I was really obviously focusing on Nipsey because I wanted to see what the extent of that was. But um, it be, it honestly be kind of cool to make a series out of it, just to see where where the tentacles of these friendships and bonds a- actually take you. So, and you, you might just give me an idea for a series, I guess. <laughs> and we well, are always looking to get kind of behind the curtain, right? For yeah, sure. yeah, for sure. Yeah, we always want to know that. We always <laughs> so, want to know that. On to, on that point, I wanted to ask one: What has been the reception to the podcast being released so far? And do you see, you know, future thirty for thirty project for yourself? Ideas you have, and not only that, you know, delving more into the you know hip hop culture side of things because I believe a series on Allen Iverson. I, you know, he's I, he's I would say one of the biggest icons in, in all of yeah. basketball. That has something that hasn't been really delved into other than like his life, but yeah. not in terms of how he's affected the rest of the game globally. So um, with those questions, what's your response to those? Uh, I'll, I'll answer them part by part. One, the the feedback that I've seen, you know, granted, outside of, you know, the random user on Twitter where it's like Joe and like 16 numbers behind it and it's like a dog, Abby, with like two <laughs> followers. I mean, every now and then you get one of those, but yeah. honestly, 
from actual real life people and just outlets that that I respect, I've been floored by the reception because I, in my head I knew it was a I knew it was a good topic. I, I figured people would be at least be interested in clicking play. I'm like, all right, let me see what this is about. But I did not see just the the you know it's like a tidal wave of like compliments that I've seen. I'm just like, man, and it's just from a lot a lot of which from people who I've never met before in my life. And it's just like, thank you so much for doing this. Like I didn't know what to expect, click and play, but you you did a phenomenal job, you know, honoring his legacy and telling his story. And that means a lot to me. You know, more than I, I don't know what this podcast will ultimately do. What will it be nominated for an award? I don't know. Will it win an award? Hell, I really don't know that. But that was never my intention from the moment I wrote that first script. My intention was like tell this story, see this thing through. And once it's out in the universe, it's beyond my control and it, it'll do what what it ultimately needs to do. So the feedback has been great so far. And, you know, I, I, I'll i be sharing it throughout the rest of the year and into 2022. And, you know, I, I just hope it reaches as many people as possible. Um, in terms of future projects, I mean, you, you just mentioned one of them. I would love to do a, 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 a story on Allen Iverson. Not just a story, but like a series on Allen Iverson's uh, cultural just impact. Not just on basketball, but just in like ways of life. You know, I, I'll never forget when Allen Iverson started wearing the the arm sleeve. I remember mm-hmm. wearing these guys in my high school. I, yeah. He walked into class one day, and it was like a cut-up tube sock on his arm. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what are you doing? He was like, man, AI hey, did it last night. I'm like, you didn't know it because he hurt his elbow, right? He's like, oh, no, nah, I just thought it looked cool. And, and, and like, that's the thing about Allen Iverson, man. He's such a... He's such a counterculture hero in a lot of ways that yes. even as he as he gets older, he he becomes even more endearing because nobody is as authentic as that guy. You know, so I, I would love that um, future 30 for 30s. I, I'm, you know, it's I will say this about the 30 for 30 team. Like you got to really impress them with an idea like that they, because they, they, they get pitched mm. so many like topics like, oh, you should do this. You should do that some of which are extremely, extremely great ideas. It's just don't have a bandwidth to do every great idea. So, you know, I, I definitely, I've got a running Google doc of ideas and, you know, I try to flesh them out as much as I can, but I, you know, God willing, I would love to, I would love to do another one, you know, or I, and I would love to make that like a calling card if I could uh, of my career, just telling these really deep, rich cultural stories that deserve platforms and audiences like a 30 for 30. So hopefully I can keep going. I hope so too, because the, your latest um, edition of the 30 for 30 podcast series was excellent. Again, I'm not just trying to give you a cheap plug. This is a, a must listen for NBA fans out there. Excellent piece of content. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. And I, I appreciate you. I appreciate Matt. And I appreciate everybody who's just like, you know, taking the time to click play because I mean, we, we're all busy in our own rights. You know what I mean? And just the fact that, like, y'all carved out, I don't know how long the podcast, maybe what, like two, two and a half hours? Y'all carved out two, two and a half hours of your time to listen to something that, you know, myself and my great team, I I, I do want to shout out the team. Um, Joanne Griff, Griffith, she was, I, I, this was my first time ever working with her, but she, I hope it's not my last, put it that way. She was just a blessing. And she made this entire experience for me in terms 
just putting a podcast together and, and the discipline that comes with putting a podcast together of this magnitude. Like she helped me every step of the way and she was just incredible. My man, Gus Navarro, Derwin Graham, Julia Henderson, Steve Reese, Meredith Hodnot. So, so many people are responsible for this podcast, you know, being out in the world that, I mean, I know is it may have been my initial idea. I know I'm the, the, the narrator, the host, the voice of whatever you want to call it, but I'm just one, but one piece of, of a big puzzle to help make, make this thing um, uh, a reality. It's a dream come true for me. It's honestly a dream come true because I, I've always been a, I've always been a fan of great storytelling, and of course, you know, thirty for thirty just for so many years has been synonymous with great storytelling. So to know that, you know, when we look back on thirty for 30, 20 some odd years from now, hopefully they're still doing them. But when we look back on like twenty years from now, people can be like, one that I really really enjoyed was the Nipsey Hustle podcast, and I, I hope I hope I can speak that into the universe and speak that into reality. So. Justin, please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media. And then I know you got you're working on a new book about Notorious B.I.G. and any other yeah. projects that's coming up on the on the live way. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. It's actually kind of easy. Both ads are the same. They're at Justin Tinsley, J-U-S-T-I-N-T-I-N-S-L-E-Y. And I'm, yeah, thank you so much for mentioning that. I do have uh, my first box full-length biography that I've written. Uh, it's called, uh, it was all a dream, Biggie and the world that made him. And that's, of course, you know, a biography on the late, great, notorious B.I.G., a.k.a. Biggie Smalls, real name Christopher George Latour Wallace. And I, I just hope that that book, you know, for younger, not just younger, but a generation of hip-hop fans who weren't, you know, really in their late teens or their 20s when Biggie was, uh, around and, and at, at the peak of his powers. I hope this presents Biggie, excuse me, Christopher Wallace in a light that maybe they weren't familiar with. And obviously this is, it's not a bad thing because I just report on his life, but there's so many things about Biggie Smalls that had nothing to do with Biggie Smalls that, that I hope comes off, you know, jumps off the page for people here. And, you know, I, I, I'm just really proud of it. It, com- it comes out through Abrams Books, uh, May 2022. We just dropped the pre-order link. So if you go to any of my social media, you'll be able to uh, find the pre-order link there. And yeah, just check it out. And I hope you enjoy it the same way. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Great, Justin. Thanks for taking some time out of your uh, busy Monday to chat with us. I uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys again. Thank you so much. We now welcome brand director at Sports Dissected and co-founder of Koiski. We welcome George Kiel the Third onto Kusalji. How's it going, George? Oh, everything's going good. How about you? Doing pretty well. Thanks, George. Appreciate it. And then I really wanted this to have you on the show because I'm a huge fan of your content. Just great for any sports fan or really any sport. And the first question I got for you is just how do you came up with the concept of your YouTube channel, um, Tchaikovsky, and then the sports dissected, just, you know, touring these sports locker rooms? How did it all come about? Yeah, so uh, so first off, uh, Koisky, you mentioned Koisky. Koisky is a sports-focused uh, digital media production company. So we provide a lot of brand and uh, well, content and digital marketing uh, deliverables for various sports brands. So a lot of your, you know, video production, uh, white label production, 
um, you know, facility photography, all of those services and more. Um, we provide it uh, to sports-centric brands and their business portfolio uh, needs, their marketing efforts, and their online presence. Um, where Sports Dissected came about is uh, Sports Dissected was was uh, built as a uh, just to showcase our production capabilities, right? Um, and so we started to to build and storytell on YouTube um, in ways that we can showcase, you know, what we can do and, and what we're capable of uh, production wise. And uh, it just kind of ballooned into its own thing, right? So um, it, it's it's a it's a YouTube channel that kind of goes behind the scenes of sports and showcases different perspectives that, you know, uh, most don't. And so uh, that that's pretty much how Sports Dissected came about. It, it's a, just just showcasing what we do and, and um, you know, how, how we think how well we can do it. And your YouTube channel, it profiles sports locker rooms. And I think it's just casual, just viewers out there that may not be special or seem unordinary. But in fact, it's very interesting watching the content, very compelling. Um, how did you come up with that angle specifically? And then are there any kind of locker rooms that you've toured? You've been all over the country. Are there any ones that stand out to you? Yeah. Uh, so that series idea came about uh, my business partner and I, we worked at a uh, a footwear brand called nicekicks.com for uh, about eight years. And uh, we were doing a lot with, with sports teams and their uh, shoes and footwear and kind of showcasing, you know, what they were wearing and what, you know, the equipment guys were providing them. Um, but through that, we, we noticed that uh, the facilities are much more than the equipment room, right? And so um, kind of when we, we started Koiski and Sports Dissected, we wanted to uh, really showcase to the world what all is is inside of these quote unquote castles built for these uh, athletes, and so that's kind of the birth of that and how it started. And then, as far as the locker rooms, uh, I'm sorry, your second second part of your question was was what again? Uh, which locker rooms stands out to you? I mean, oh, which one stands out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, where you are, uh, Colorado, Colorado okay. football. I, I thought that was one of my favorite ones because. Um, the locker room was like uh, composed of sandstone and, and limestone and, and all of these things that kind of represent the region in which the Colorado, you know, buffaloes are. Um, and so I thought it was it was a very elegant locker room, um, looked like like a day spa uh, inside of their facilities. <laughs> and um, so that was a great one. And then uh, South Carolina football, they had an awesome one. Um, they just they had, you know stuff a lot of stuff for the players to do outside of playing basketball right like recording booths and you know so many different games within the player lounge um and so yeah it was those two kind of really stand out to me and how much do you think that factors into a recruit picking that school is when the recruit comes for their campus visit when they see that locker room when they see you know all the bells and whistles is that a compelling factor to push them in one direction or is it really it's it's a bonus but the determining factor is how well they fit into that program oh i think it's case by case so you know some uh players might uh want the 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 games and and all of the different amenities that the program can can uh accompany them with but then there's other players who are like hey if you're not winning i don't want to be a part of the program and so they may go for a a uh you know 
not as as a starry type of spot um, because they want to be a part of, of great tradition. So uh, it just I think it depends case by case. But I, I don't think, you know, having the nicest facilities, I don't think that hurts you at all. Sure. And when you first started this locker room concept, have you seen an evolution in terms of how these universities are designing them? Have you seen how, you know, they're incorporating different aspects to keep up with their competition? Or do you think it just, it's a kind of a case by case basis, um, depending on a university? No, it's a, it's an arms race. I I think, uh, (laughs) yeah, with every new facility, there's something brand new coming. Mm -hmm. Like the recording booth probably was never thought of five years ago. Um, and now you're having like lazy rivers, you're having like mini golf, but yeah, it's, it's, it's always going to get bigger and better and, and, you know, better in, in, you know, someone's perspective, but yeah, it's, it's always going to be huge and, and trying to outdo the other. Now, I saw on your channel, you've also recently t- toured a esports uh, stadium, Arlington, and kind of a, you know, a facility that, you know, we've seen pop up through various parts of the country. Uh, what made you compel to kind of the tour that stadium? And what's your opinion overall on esports? Um, so can you hear me? Yep, I can. Okay. Yeah, esports. So um, the reason we, we wanted to do that one is because uh, – just wanted to see, I, I think there is an audience out there that wants to see, you know, behind the scenes of, of what they're doing with esports as well. And it's such a, an ever growing sport, right? Um, there's so, there's so many people there, you know, there's, there are schools across the nation that are giving full scholarships out for esports athletes. Right. So, um, if, if we're sports dissected and we're covering the behind the scenes perspective on, on all sports, Esports is one of them, and so that was, uh, you know, us us kind of going the niche of what we do because a lot of people love the the basketball and football stuff that we uh, post. But you know, there's there's other sides of sports. You know, there's there's extreme sports. We we actually have a video coming up, um, kind of showcasing uh, an extreme sport uh, and and how how something is made there. So yeah, yeah, they, it, it's uh, you know we're we're always trying to figure out the next angle of, of what we do and with that esports angle do you see esports you know getting that more of the cut of the pie in terms of the overall sports landscape in terms of college athletes or do you think the attention will always be you know basketball football the traditional sports or do you think esports could be a huge player just because it's accessible it's popular globally um, is there a chance that esports could work its way into kind of that college sports landscape and kind of leapfrog, you know, those other, you know, I would say tennis, golf, um, kind of those other sports that don't get that attention? Could esports just leapfrog ahead just due to its popularity already with its common people? I, I think there's potential for sure. You know, like uh, I wouldn't have said that, you know, five years ago, but. Um, there's potential for sure. They're, they're building stadiums. They're, they're, they're building standalone stadiums for esports, um, you know, teams and, and, and tournaments and stuff like that. So it's only going to, you know, grow. The game is only growing from here. And I can definitely see, you know, nationally televised esports games um, and, and them continuing, continuing to, to, you know, put money into those uh, sports. And I wanted to ask you as a YouTube content creator, 
when you first started the channel to now, what type of adjustments have you tried to make to your content? Um, because YouTube's just a constantly evolving platform. It's the second most used search engine out there. Um, the algorithm is changing all the time. In terms of how you frame your content to your viewers and audience, are there any adjustments that you've had to make over time just to make sure that your content's reaching your audience? Oh, 100%. Uh, <clears throat> so we're, we're uh, now that we know what we're working with on the sports aspect of the channel, um, we're, we're only looking to, to create even more series, uh, even more uh, concepts um, to kind of showcase, you know, our, our production capabilities, but also to continue to build that behind the scenes sports culture. Um, because I think there is a, 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 you know, a thirst for that type of content. And so we have tons of ideas outside of the locker room. And, um, you know, we also have the uh, Sports Dissected, our namesake series, where it's kind of a how it's made concept on on various, you know, aspects of sports. So, you know, we have those two um, and, and just a few more that we're going to, you know, continue to release. But, you know, that and then also um, – timeliness is such a, a key point in, in YouTube, right? So um, posting things when they're being talked about within the world um, mm -hmm. is, 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 uh, is definitely important. Um, I wanted to shift gears and ask you about another series you have on your YouTube channel, and that's about sneakers. Um, and that's a world which I'm, you know, slightly familiar with, but very compelling just as a viewer. Um, how did you come up with that concept with your open the box kind of video series and what things have you learned through just curating that content? I, I watched the video today. Um, I think I forgot the, the name of the sneaker distributor, but his face was blurred out. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of very interesting concept there. So how, how did you kind of um, decide to bring viewers into the sneaker world as well? Yeah, so uh, sneakers are are, par are part of sports, right? Uh, you can't, you know, for the most part, you can't play a sport without wearing shoes, and so um, there's a there's a a whole undertone of a culture there um, that that uh, you know just catering to to sneakers and, and sneaker enthusiasts, uh, sneaker heads rather, and so um, that was just a you know the concept of the open the box was to showcase uh, those. Uh, sneaker shop owners that are in lesser known areas um, and, and kind of expose them to um, the, the collegiate side of what's going on in sports. Um, because there's, there's almost like a, a shoe store on every corner, in every yeah. college town. And so uh, that was, that was kind of our, our thing there is kind of giving back and, and showcasing um, what those smaller uh, business owners have to show off. And with any of the video content that you've created, are there anything that that shocked you or anything that before going into it that maybe exceed your expectations or something that really jumped out as you once you started um, just creating any of the videos that you've made? You say anything like a something that came about? Yeah, something shocking or something that you didn't, you know, realize, you know, once you were done, you're like, oh, man, oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> that's something that you totally didn't expect. It kind of came out of left field. It could be shocking, could be something, you know, compelling, good or bad. So, so, um, I don't know if you've seen our, our Sports Dissected series. Not, not The channel, obviously, is called Sports Dissected, but the series uh, I mentioned earlier, it's a, a how it's made concept and yeah. pretty much just to be honest, uh, almost every episode just shocks me. It's, mm -hmm. it's 
to me, it's such a compelling, um, our, our, our digital media director, Leland Bruce, he actually hosts that series, but it's such a compelling series and it allows you to like not look at sports the same after you watch stuff. Um, and so ever since I've been, you know, consuming that content and I'm sure many others, I, I just don't look at, at certain things or I look at certain things with a deeper eye now. And so we've done, you know, episodes on like how golf balls are made. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done stuff on like how, you know, uh, how college football equipment managers kind of break in a football using mud. Um, and so these these things are really compelling as far as you having that, uh, what you just said, like just something that really just shocks me. If you watch that series, you'll, you'll be shocked at some of the things that happen behind the scenes in sports. And one of the things I like about your your channel is the interviews you do with equipment managers. I think they're unsung heroes for the for the teams that they they assist and help out. Can you kind of go over the relationship they have with the team in terms of the players and the coaches? Um, for those that may not, they just think, hey, there's equipment managers, whatever. But they have a huge, massive role in terms of making sure that the team is ready to go every single time they hit the court or field. So can you kind of, kind of elaborate in terms of what role they have on the team? To me, they're the most under underappreciated people in sports. Um, their days are longer than everyone's days in sports. Uh, they're there before the game starts. They're there after the game starts. Um, they're the person that most don't give a compliment to when everything's going right, but then they get screamed at and yelled at and complained about when something goes wrong. So, no, I, I have the utmost respect for equipment managers for sure. And do, do you see in terms of a equipment manager that starts at the collegiate level do you see a career path in terms of them staying in that field and moving on to maybe a pro sports team, or does that kind of end there? Um, in, in other words, do you see, you know, nowadays, especially with the locker rooms you tour, they're they're not just a traditional locker room. These these are uh, multi million dollar facilities. So for the equipment managers, are there more career opportunities past college? One one thousand percent. Yeah. I, I, since we've been doing this, we've interviewed people uh at college and and i've seen some people you know that were not in the videos but i have relationships with and now they're in the nba so um yeah no i, I definitely think there's a there's a growth path for an, uh, an equipment manager uh, especially you know if you if you make friends where you're at make great relationships you know a lot of head coaches bounce all over the nation and so when a head coach can really trust you um, he'll he'll take you with him, you know, mm-hmm. to the next level. So, yeah, I definitely think that's a that's a thing. George, I also wanted to ask you about high school. Um, how much do you know about kind of a high school facilities? Are they kind of following suit with what the colleges are doing, or is that kind of a separate entity in terms of how their sports facilities are? No, no, I think uh, high school facilities. Some high school facilities are. are uh, getting up there to those college levels, right? Uh, they're looking like at, at very, at the very least, like many division two schools now. Okay. Right? So um, certain like Bishop Gorman, IMG, um, you know, couple out here in Texas that are, that are really huge uh, and, and ha- have really nice facilities. So I think uh, it only gets better. Again, it's an arms race, right? So it, it'll, 
we'll have one within the next few years that looks like a mini college campus for sure. And um, just one more question for you in terms of the pandemic. Um, we, we just saw how that really affected every phase of life and sports was no different. Now that things have gone back to normal and since when the pandemic first hit, that was such a massive hit in terms of money and recruits. Do you know what steps, you know, from the equipment managers, coaches, um, do you know what steps they're doing to make sure that their players are safe and they're kind of isolated from any other unforeseen circumstances that may arise in the future, do you think? Um, the pandemic is, is so unpredictable, right? So um, you just you just never know, like, what's going to happen within the next week or so, right? And yeah. so everyone's – I feel like everyone's kind of prepared just in case it goes back to – I mean, it's it hasn't gone anywhere, right? Sure. But um, – I think people, you know, the vaccinations are are, ha- are having people feel a little more safe. But I, I really think uh, people, you know, have to still move around safe and sound, and 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 just do the best job that they can, and always think about the the next person, um, because the next person may not be able to to you know uh, function after contracting the, the disease like you would, right? Yeah. And so. I think uh, everyone, especially within sports, are trying to be as safe as possible. Gotcha. Well, George, thank you very much for coming on to the show. Please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find your YouTube channel, where they can find yourself on social media, and any other projects or things we should be on the lookout for. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, YouTube.com slash Sports Dissected. And then uh, on our social media channels on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, it's just Sports Dissected, at Sports Dissected. Um, and me personally, I'm at George Kill 3 on all social media platforms. That's George Kill and then the number 3, K-I-E-L, number 3. So, yeah, that's it. Well, I appreciate it, George. Thank you um, taking time out of your busy schedule just to talk with us. Really appreciate it. Man, Justin, I want to say this, man. You had some sure. great questions, like really good questions. I can tell you actually, uh, you know, you didn't just get up and, and do whatever. You Those are very uh really good questions for sure well i appreciate it and i appreciate your youtube channel i think it's something that every sports fan should see i came across it a few years ago and it's just such a compelling watch um just touring these all these college and pro facilities and just your sneaker content as well i think it's something for every sports fan they should definitely like and subscribe for sure awesome awesome justin i appreciate it and i like to talk off camera as well man um just to see what you're doing and, and what your future goals are, because, uh, you know, I, I think, again, you asked some awesome questions. I know you're into sports because you wouldn't have a hoops, <laughs> hoopsology podcast if you were not into sports. So uh, definitely want to want to connect with you off camera for sure. Great. Will do. Appreciate it, George. Thank you. OK, thanks.